There may come a day when you'll find yourself crawling along an interminable interstate, boxed in by drivers whose hurry to get to their destination is the very reason traffic merely inches forward. But then you'll crest a hill or round a bend, and instead of the procession of enameled vehicles glinting in the harshness of the noonday sun, you'll find a ribbon of unbroken gray asphalt stretching like a conveyor belt to the horizon. The congestion has vanished, but how, miles from an exit, with the road hemmed in by vast swaths of trackless wilderness, it is not your imagination. Your fellow travelers have exited the freeway. That point always before you, that dark smudge that seems so impossibly far up ahead, where the road meets the sky, it is no natural phenomenon, not the result of light being blocked by the stuff of the horizon. It is a physical point of departure, a wayside of sorts for the travel weary. And if some day, in the doldrums of a monotonous journey, you notice a sudden lightening of the traffic, you might want to pause and ponder: Is it the others who have disappeared into the horizon, or is it you? On the wayside, in part one of One Night Stand. Even as the band reached its zenith, Leo, the acknowledged spark to its creative flame, retreated into himself. He was like a man in a locked room, screaming at the top of his lungs for someone to come and let him out, but there was no one to hear. But Mina was different. He walked in on her in the laundry room late one night. Her back was to the door. She was folding clothing and humming under her breath, humming his lyrics. Leo was across the room before he'd really considered what he was doing. You like that song? He asked, coming up close behind her. Not particularly, just that lyric. I wish the rest of the song lived up to it. Leo, she asked him one night, isn't it enough that those lyrics exist? That you wrote them, even if they're never played, never appreciated. You created them with your talent and your vision. No one can take that away from you. Doesn't that count for something? She was right, and he wanted to show her that he recognized this. Only now, when it mattered most, the words wouldn't come. And now, the conclusion of One Night Stand. The bell on the door jingled merrily as Leo stepped into the diner. A burst of cool, stagnant air rushed forward to assault him. It carried with it the impressions of a thousand scents, some stale and moldering, others fresh and pungent. He felt as if he'd stepped into the dim confines of a cave, and with his movement generated a wind that raced round and round, shattering an eons-old environment long preserved in perfect stillness. Somewhere off in the dark recesses of the diner, music blared from a scratchy speaker. It was a soft tune, almost folk-like in tone. He felt the involuntary twitching of his fingers picking out the notes of a chord. The tune, the rhythm of it, it was in his body. Leo slid into a cracked and faded vinyl booth. He sat staring at the mottled surface of the laminate table, at patches faded to a gray nothingness by years of chemical cleaner assault, 
trying to remember where he might have heard the song before. Funny, the tune was in his muscle memory, and his fingers that tapped unbidden on the tarnished chrome edge of the table. But no words sprang to the tip of his tongue. There was a film, sticky and cloying as the film of bleach residue upon the table, across the surface of his memory. "'What can I get you?' a bored female voice snapped suddenly from over Leo's shoulder. Leo jumped, both at sight and sound of her. The waitress, Shauna by her name tag, was a study in black and white. It was as if the jet-black shade of her hair had sucked all color and feeling from the rest of her body. Her eyes were rimmed with a thick line of black, which seemed, if it were possible, darker even than her hair. The flush at her cheekbones was the product of rouge, not the tint of excitement or overexertion. Bulky layered jewelry hung from her throat and ears and wrists. Leo recognized the look. He'd sported something very similar to it once himself. It was like a brand stamped by a farmer upon his cattle, an aesthetic carefully cultivated to broadcast rebellion to the world, to mark one's individuality. But there was no individuality to the woman whose heavy makeup made even her age indeterminate. With her feathered hair, she could be the mirror image of himself some thirty years ago. Leo considered this as she stood there stomping her booted foot impatiently on the grimy linoleum tile. He glanced surreptitiously down at his clothes, an off-the-rack button-up shirt and khakis, which he'd pulled at random from the tangled mess of garments in the suitcase that served as his wardrobe. Then he thought back to his teens— Raw young Leonard looked much as did Leo now, as he sat here in this out-of-the-way diner, except for a few graying hairs and faint furrows around the temples. But the boy, in his naivete, had put stock in such things as appearance, thinking them a shortcut to the kind of influence he sought, to the platform which fame would give him to spread his ideas far and wide. But a shortcut taken often enough becomes the new thoroughfare, and before one knew it, one was lost in a mess of other people, all jockeying to beat each other to the same destination. Words of warning for the waitress danced on the tip of his tongue, but his lips remained shut, a fleshy portcullis trapping his admonitions. People couldn't be made to think. Not even a flashing neon sign broadcasting the truth could hold sway over those of stubborn conviction. People had to come to conclusions in their own way. He could do nothing for her. Look, guy, if you're not going to order, I've got other things to do. I don't care what my job title says. I'm not paid to literally wait on you hand and foot, Shauna snapped impatiently. Just a cup of coffee. Swell, mister. The tip for that won't even cover the amount of time I've been standing here waiting for you to make up your mind. She shoved her order pad down in the recesses of the pocket of her apron and stomped off towards the counter. Leo pulled his own pad of paper from his jacket pocket and found himself once more staring despondently at the empty blank pane of the paper. His mind was as much a void as the page. Over his shoulder, Leo heard the clatter of ceramic and Shauna's foul-tempered mutterings. The warbling notes of the same acoustic folk tune could still be heard in the silence punctuated by Shauna's movements. Leo strained to listen. He heard the same chord, the notes C, E, G, repeated once, twice, three times. His fingers suddenly ceased their tapping and hung frozen in midair, chilled by the sudden frost coursing through his veins. 
The C major chord had been the first his guitar teacher had taught him. It had become something of Leo's musical signature when he'd first started writing. He tried to remember. Had he taken the idea, the repetition, from another artist? Surely, if he had, he'd remember. Shauna approached the table and slammed the coffee down. The anemic brown liquid sloshed over the rim, leaving a muddy puddle upon the faded blue of the tabletop. Thank you, miss. I don't suppose you know the song that's playing. A little indignant hiss, like a reptilian warning to back away, emanated from the lips of the waitress. She bent over the table to wipe away the coffee spill and turned two darting eyes toward Leo. Do I look like I listen to this sort of sappy, emotionalistic tripe? Leo threw up the palms of his hands in a show of apology. Shauna snapped her towel in the direction of the shrouded far recesses of the diner. A little arc of brown liquid cascaded across the floor. What am I now, a radio service? You want to not go look for yourself? Jukebox in the corner. It plays at all bloody hours. One song after another no one wanted to listen to thirty years ago. She turned away in a huff. Leo sipped his coffee to put some distance between himself and the moody waitress. He grimaced as he forced himself to choke the acid-tasting brew down. The gas station attendant's praise had been wholly unwarranted. When Shauna had returned to the dominion of her counter, Leo slid from the booth and crossed over to the dark corner in which the old jukebox sat. He saw only the shadowy suggestion of its form, illuminated as a contrast against the surrounding blackness by the brightly colored lights that danced within the glass case, shining like a spotlight upon the records within. Leo flicked his eyes down the list of songs on offer. He recognized many of them, too many, in fact. They were all instantly recognizable, classic hits, and none of them contained the musical marker he was looking for. Then he got to the bottom line of the list. He had to read and reread the tag. Identity by Leonard Glazer. Leo was paralyzed. He wondered if he was having a stroke. Could shock bring on a stroke? He did not think that it was possible that his hand reached into the back pocket of his khakis and fished out a quarter, nor that his hand inserted the coin into the slot and punched in the call number. How could it be? He was paralyzed. But it must have been, for there was no one else standing near the machine, and suddenly the song, his song, which he couldn't remember writing, was playing. Leo heard his voice come rushing out at him through the darkness. My past is not but confusion, my world not but self-disillusion, the beliefs that have rooted in my soul not mine but another's, exerting an alien pull. So say those, old enough to know. Well, who are they to tell me so? The lyrics struck a chord in his memory. It seemed the forms of his bandmates materialized in the darkness around him. He saw himself, a weedy young boy whose shoulders already hunched beneath the weight of the world. He saw Clint and George, the twin rhythm duo, off to one side, in their own private world, it was always the two of them against the rest of the world, not in on their private joke. And he saw bad boy Gil, the flamboyant thespian when the spotlights were on, but he was all take charge behind the scenes. Keyboardist and self-appointed manager all in one. He heard Gil's voice rising above the notes blaring from the record, worn down with age. What is this, high school composition? Come on, man, we're a rock band. 
The paper Gil was holding went flying across the room with a quick, neat twist of his wrist, and skittish baby-faced Leo waited until he'd turned away to his keyboard, then scuttled after it. Those figures vanished, and another set materialized about Leo. He saw the record company executive ensconced behind his big mahogany desk. He saw the band's agent, looking grim and apologetic, refusing to meet his boss's gaze, with his finger on the play button of his stereo. Leonard sat, forgotten, at a chair pushed way back into the corner of the spacious office. The soft melody of his mournful little folk dirge floated on the air, recirculating through the office. Enough! the executive barked. The agent jumped to obey, cutting off Leo mid-note. I don't know what godforsaken backwater you dredge this kid up from, but see you deposit him back there immediately. And consider that the next time you have the audacity to think for yourself and waste my time with this unpackageable drivel, I'll see you end up right there beside him. So had ended Leo's dreams of pushing the boundaries of his art. It had been a long time since he'd thought about that nightmarish afternoon. That was the day he'd started drinking. Really drinking. Until all memory of that demo was gone. Drinking so that the utter futility of it all was no longer like a searing burn upon his brain. He knew very well that the record label executive's pronouncement was not a reflection of his talent. It was not a judgment of his style, per se, but of its marketability. If it wouldn't sell, it might as well not exist. Such was the paradox of artistry. Leo collapsed against the side of the jukebox. He felt as if he'd just absorbed a couple dozen body blows. His mind was spinning round and round like the record on the turntable. This must all be a dream, he thought, because it is utterly impossible that this is real. I'm going to wake up any second and find I simply passed out from heat exhaustion on that hotel room balcony. Leo stood long seconds, feeling the cool metal bulk of the machine press against his body, his eyes closed, willing himself to wake up. But when his gaze popped open again, it was not the barren desert behind the hotel that he saw, but the blur of the white record label spinning round and round. He did not wake up. He walked back across the restaurant, threw some money down on the table where he'd sat, and went out to his car. The gas station attendant was absent, thankfully, and he was able to simply turn the key in the ignition and pull out of that nightmarish place. He did not drive back to the hotel, but to his apartment, from the way back of his suitcase, and a secret pocket designed to hide valuables from the greedy fingers of airline attendants, he pulled a battered old folder, and it was a ream of sheets of paper even more battered than that which held them. The lyrics were there, scrawled in uneven lines across the page, cord markings scribbled between each line. Glancing over it, Leo found it hard to believe that it had been his hand that made those marks. He felt nothing of the passion that had driven the wrist that dragged itself across the page. Yet there the words were, indelible proof of the genesis he had undergone. Mina's words came back to him. Isn't it enough that those lyrics exist? That you wrote them? Well, time to find out. The next day came and passed in a flash, and before Leo knew it, he was sitting before the bar, staring down at the contents of a glass of ice water, his guitar propped in the seat beside him. Smoke swirled in the air about him, moving in time with the bodies that flitted from place to place. Behind him, some young kid picked an ill-tuned guitar and wailed into a microphone. 
Her voice was breathy, and she held her face too close to the microphone so that her syllables popped discordantly. Leo felt poorly for her. Her and the others who turned out tonight, hoping it was their big break. He was like a vacuum, sucking all the oxygen out of the room. The bar was crowded, much more crowded than he would have expected. So his name did still have some weight, he thought bitterly. He wondered how many of these people were truly fans, and how many were driven here by voyeuristic curiosity, to gape and gawk at the washed-up has-been, to see if he still had his talent, or whether it had been taken away along with all the other misfortunes. Leo turned round in his chair, straining his back to scan the entire room. He was on next, but nowhere did he see the distinctive auburn shade of Mina's hair. What if she didn't come? Leo's gut began to roil. Beats of sweat appeared as if by magic in a perfect line across his forehead. Should he pull out now? Save himself the embarrassment of parading before this crowd like a zoo animal in a cage? The instinct, that same sense of wanderlust that had caused him to drift so aimlessly over the past few decades, told him to flee. His fingers tightened around the neck of his guitar. The muscles in his legs tensed as if preparing to lunge towards the door. No. He felt steel in his jaw as it pulled itself into an expression of firm resolve. This stunt, it was not just about Mina. It was about him. If he was to be any sort of support for her, and he desperately desired to be, he would have to become certain of his own self first. He must shrug off the reaction of the crowd, whether good, bad, or indifferent. He must enjoy the act of creation for its own sake. Mina rushed, breathless into the bar. Her boss had let an editorial meeting drag on and on. She had sat squirming in her chair, watching the clock tick through one tedious minute after the next, knowing it would have been an unforgivable mark of disrespect to rush from the room, knowing that it made no difference whether any of them remained to verbally spar with each other. Leo was already on the stage playing, or at least she thought it was Leo. The figure on the little stage looked nothing like the middle-aged man she'd come to know. The figure on the stage belonged to a man, but the face had the full, fresh-faced roundness of a teenage boy, and the voice had the wailing desperation of a wounded animal. It was a primal shriek, a plea for mercy, for life, like the sound she'd heard a rabbit make as it expired in the jaws of a hunting dog. There was the same indignity here. It was not the killing she objected to, but dressing it up as sport, pride and honor bestowed upon men who did none of the real work, but instead relied on the efforts of other lesser creatures, then purloined it for their own. The crowd gathered before the stage had the same steely-eyed gaze of a falcon, waiting to pounce upon the smallest mistake of its prey, the first sign of its fragile mortality, as if that were some fault for which it deserved to be condemned. And like the falcons, the crowd was deaf to the imploring tones of Leo's voice. Mina did not hear him, so much as feel him, Leo sat upon a stool, his body hunched forward over his guitar. It was the dejected, energyless slump of a leper who knew there was no hope, no pleasure to anticipate in his outcast existence. His neck was arched backwards, bird-like. His face was an empty white plain, its features suggested only by the outlines cast upon it by the room's shadows. It seemed an artist's study in black and white, a preliminary drawing just begun done to map out the proportions, 
details to be filled in later. Dark slits marked the place where Leo's eyes, mouth, and nostrils should have been. A downy frame of silken hair, seeming impossibly fine for a man of his age, framed the canvas of his face. His fingers were like the stubby claws of a bear upon the guitar strings. He had the oddest mannerism as Mina had ever seen. There was no grace in his performance. He did not look about, or smile, or play to the audience. He did not draw them into the emotions he was experiencing, but held them at a distance, passive observers. His body seemed caught in a loop. He would hunch forward, jut his chin out, draw his shoulders up so they disappeared beneath his hair, then tilt his head at a ridiculous, impossible angle, always to the left, and let his neck collapse. Then he'd roll his head and finish the motion with an emphatic shake to drive the hair from his eyes, and finally collapse forward again, seemingly with exhaustion, then repeat the whole sequence anew. The motions were grander as the tempo slowed and his voice rose, smaller and quicker as the tempo fell. It was only when he ceased moving that Mina realized the song was done, and she had no idea of what he'd been singing. There was a smattering of polite applause from the crowd, and a few calls for more. But that was all Mina had the chance to see. Her phone was ringing, and the caller ID revealed it was someone whose authority could not be denied. Just as quickly as she'd rushed into the bar, she rushed out again. Poor Leo was forgotten. But he did not need her as audience now. She could see it in his face, and the sudden luminance of his eyes, that he was satisfied with what he'd just created. And Mina smiled as she hurried from the bar. He wouldn't know it for hours yet, but he'd just given her the strength to get through the rest of her evening. It was very late by the time Mina's editor had finished with her. He was very exercised over some minor crisis. She was well beyond tired, but knew she would not be able to rest until she'd spoken with Leo. She knocked at his door, and a voice from within bid her enter. She'd never been in his apartment before, and as she stepped across the threshold, she saw why. There was nothing inside, only the bare necessities, a few furnishings provided by the landlady, a kitchen counter littered with paper plates and plastic utensils. Leo stood with his back turned towards the door, gazing out onto the balcony. You were marvelous tonight. He whirled round to face her. So you were there. His voice was accusatory, its tone cut like a knife plunged into exposed flesh. Leo saw the contraction of pain in Mina's brow, and instantly regretted the rebuke. Yes, I came late and left early, and for that I am sorry, work, but I was there. Leo accepted this intelligence with a little grunt. It was his only comment. He wandered away from the sliding glass door, and over to the emptiness of the living space, over to where the suitcase that contained his few possessions stood open on a battered love seat. His clothes lay in a heap upon the adjacent cushion. As Mina watched, she began picking them up, folding them, and placing them neatly in the case. "'You're leaving?' Mina asked, a little note of alarm accenting her words. Leo ignored her. He grunted again, then suddenly threw the shirt in his hands down onto the case, where it landed in a crumpled heap. "'Why do you continue to do it?' he asked indignantly, turning suddenly to confront her. "'Do what?' Allow yourself to be defined by your editor. You asked me whether it mattered, an act of creation done for its own sake. I rose to your challenge. I proved myself. Mina considered for a moment. 
She bowed her head to acknowledge that she recognized the truth of what he said. Well, now I'm putting the same question to you. Forget your editor and his standards. Defy him. Stand on your own two legs. What exactly are you asking of me? Leo took two long steps towards her and placed his arms around her shoulders possessively. Come away with me. To where? To live how? He felt her body tense beneath his hands spread over her. Mina, all these questions, they don't matter. Hell, even I don't matter. Not if you can't make a stand for your own self-confidence. Just to prove that it can be done. She shook herself free from his grasp and took two steps away from him and stood, considering. Leo saw the turning of her mind in the spark of her eyes. All right, she said after what seemed like an endless eternity. It was later, not much later, when they were in the car, a pair of suitcases bookending the seat behind them, that Mina suddenly remembered. Leo, the crowd, how did they receive your performance? Leo grunted as he wrestled with the stick shift to put the car in gear. You know, I didn't notice. Mina smiled, and Leo jammed his foot down on the accelerator pedal, giddy as a schoolboy with the thrill of her expression. The roar of the Thunderbird cut through the silence of the night like the boom of a jet engine. The Wayside is a production of Input Output Enterprises. Story and audio production by Catherine Emily. <laughs>